1: Looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: We have the sin nature today, and because we were in Christ seminally, that means because all human race came from him, we are all part of that sin problem. But as we get into the rest of it, we know that we have been redeemed, saved, forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. So there, that, there is that issue of what do we do now as a Christian because we trusted Christ. So now the rest of my message, I want you to know that it is designed to help Christians understand what it means to live the Christian life. And again, I can't go through all of scripture this morning. Obviously, you can realistically in time. But in this passage, you are going to get some of the greatest truths on why we do what we do and how we can overcome that in our Christian life. And then as we go through the rest of chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, all that is going to be a reinforcement of what you're going to learn today. So if you know Christ as your Savior, this message is for you. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, I do want you to feel like you're very much a part of the family. I believe you're here today because there's a spiritual maybe seeking going on inside of you something brought you here today even if it was a friend and so what i want you to do is i want you to pay as close attention as this as you can although there may be parts you don't understand yet i'm going to tell you that i too am struggling with learning things as well i'm growing in my knowledge but i don't want to move away from scripture because there's so much for me to learn and if you follow along you're going to see The answer to the question, why would Christians who trust Christ as Savior, why do they still do some bad things in their life? Why do they still keep messing up? I like what one bumper sticker said. It says, I'm a Christian. I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. Now, if you read that, it makes it sound like, hey, that's all right. I can go ahead and sin. And that very issue is what Paul is going to address because some Christians say, oh, it is by faith alone. So that means I can go out and live as I please. And I'm going to address that as well. So why do Christians do these things and why they don't have to do these things and why Christ says, even though you're not saved by the law, we're not kept saved by the law, we're kept saved by grace, we're saved by grace, we're disciplined by grace, and that we still move forward in our growth with the Lord. Now, let me step back again and let you know that as we finish Romans 5 and we're getting into Romans 6, that there are two different truths two different doctrines one doctrine is going to be justification the other doctrine is the doctrine of sanctification now those are big words which i'll explain in just a moment These words are opposite from one another because you're going to learn some truths, but yet they're very much connected together. So they're not in conflict with one another, but they are very much in complement with one another as long as we have these pieces put together. So if you will, let me read through a list here to help you understand the difference between justification and sanctification. And as I go through the next maybe four or five minutes, I will then make clear to you the difference between justification, what it is, so when you hear that word, you'll have a pretty good understanding of it. And then when you hear the term sanctification, you'll have a pretty good understanding of that. I'm not here trying to give you words you don't know, but at the same time, since they are so much in Scripture and the doctrine of that is in Scripture, it is really tied to who we are and whose we are, and how that all fits together. So listen very carefully as I show you how we move from Romans 5 to Romans 6. Romans 5 speaks of justification. So you can write that down wherever you want. Romans 5, top of the chapter, it deals with justification. Beginning of chapter 6 and flowing through chapter 8 is the term sanctification. Chapter 5 explains how God declares us righteous when we trust Christ as Savior. That declaring righteous is another term for Justification, not just as if we never sinned. He declares us righteous. Chapter 6 is, he makes people righteous. So, number 5, verse 5, chapter 5, he's talking about justification, and he declares us that way when we place our faith in Christ. But now in chapter 6, he then makes us righteous like he's already declared us to be. Not that he cleans us up so we finally get good enough to go to heaven, but because we are going to heaven, then now he cleans us up so we can live a, a life of pleasing to him justification is an act whereby god declares us righteous in his eyes all right so that means we may not see each other justified but god sees us justified when we place our faith in christ now so that they don't have to keep repeating when you place your faith in christ i want you to know that no one is ever justified apart from them placing their faith alone in jesus christ when they do that boom they are justified so now that you know that let me go a little bit further Sanctification is the act where God makes us righteous. Justification happens the moment you trust Christ, and it is never repeated after that. So there is no need for anyone, once they've come to faith in Christ, to be justified again. However, sanctification is different. Sanctification happens moment by moment as we continue to surrender ourselves to the Lord. There is a one-time presentation of ourselves as a believer to the lordship of Christ. And then the rest of our life, we are presenting ourselves, offering ourselves, recalibrating ourselves to his lordship. But justification happens just like that when we trust him as our savior. All right, justification delivers us from the penalty of sin, and sanctification then begins to deliver us from the power of sin. Justification is an event. Sanctification is a process. Justification happens once and only once. Sanctification is gradual and continuous. Justification cannot be repeated. Sanctification must be repeated. Justification is the work of of a moment. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime. So I don't work on my justification any longer, but I am partnering with God as I'm working through my progressive sanctification in my life now. All of us are. I am too. Justification gives you the merit of Christ. Sanctification, though, gives you the character of Christ. And I'll say this, and then we'll move on. Justification can only come before sanctification. Or, sanctification can only come after justification. And the sooner we get those two together, not same time, but together this way in time, I'm going to tell you the better we are. So today, we're going to begin our journey on justification, and now sanctification, and spend our time on that. Now, there are a couple of terms that would be good for you to really own because as you continue to read through the New Testament, you're going to find that these terms are mentioned, all three of these, all right, But the truths of them pervade the New Testament. So while the word that I'm going to give to you may not be found in that little context of Scripture, the idea of that is, and hopefully if I have enough time, I'll be able to show you that in Titus chapter 2. But for right now, I want you to know the three phases or the three stages that you might have. So this will help you go through it. Justification has to do with your past. So let me ask you, how many of you have trusted Christ as your Savior by faith alone? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Okay. So that happens sometime in your past. Now, it could have been in the past five minutes, but it didn't happen at the very moment you raised your hand. You raised your hand as a result of something you've done in the past when you were justified, you placed your faith. Sanctification is something that is going on right now. And even in my life, I'm growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And if I do not grow in grace, someone said, I will groan in disgrace, so I want to grow in grace. The third word is the word glorification. Now, glorification does not deal with right now, although I want to glorify the Lord by my life, my lips. I want to glorify Him by my time, talent, treasure, temple, and tongue. I want to make sure He gets all the glory. But my glorification won't happen now. My glorification will occur in the future. And that will be the time when I now will not have, obviously, the penalty of sin any longer. I will not be at all with the power of sin having any dominion over me but I will be absent from any presence of sin in my life because I will be in that wonderful place of eternal bliss in the very presence of the Lord that sometimes is referred to as heaven. So those are the three phases, my past, present, and future. Past justification, present sanctification, future is going to be my glorification. So let's look at these three great stages one more time so that you really can own them for you because once you begin to understand this, you're going to understand the concept of sanctification and how it fits into a growth or a movement in our life. All right, first of all, justification means being set free from the penalty of sin. So again, for those of you that are kind of outside looking in, let me just kind of invite you into this truth by explaining it to you this way. I am justified. I am declared righteous before God so that when I die, I will stand before him. I'm not declared righteous at the time of my death. I'm declared righteous right now before God. So when I die, I can stand before him righteous. The question is, is what makes God declare me righteous? Righteous. There's one thing, my faith alone in him. Now, it's not my good works that gets me justified. It is not my faith in Christ and good works that gets me justified. It is only my faith alone in Christ that gets me justified. And so that unlocks God now that says, all right, I am now giving you my spirit, the death that Christ did for you on the cross, satisfied, all of that, so that now I can declare you righteous. Not because you've acted righteous, not because you wanted to be righteous. I'm declaring that way because you did what I said you had to do. The only thing was to place your faith in Christ. The second word is sanctification, and that sets us free from the power of sin. And that's mostly what I'll be teaching over the next, I don't know how many weeks, maybe a couple of months as we go through Romans 6, 7, and 8. Uh, for you on that so uh, so sanctification deals with right now at this particular time so we're learning how to be sanctified now let me just give you a quick definition of sanctified all right sanctified would be that we are made pure before the lord when we trust christ as savior but now he is making us in this life more and more like christ we might say when we trusted christ we are declared sinless before the lord we're made righteous But now sanctification helps us to, here it is, sin less. All right? So that's going on right now. And there's a lot to teach you on that. And I'm going to get into what we call positional truth and practical truth. And when I get into that, that's what you really need to listen to because that is hard to really understand. And that's why some people, when they read the New Testament, they begin to get into either, oh, the law isn't important at all or it's it's so much grace that I can go out and live as I please. Others go so far as to say, see, you need to do all these good deeds in order to still be saved or to get saved. And so they kind of mess it all up. It's because they're missing the understanding of justification, sanctification, glorification, and they miss the truth, of positional truth, and practical truth. So let's go back to what I'm saying now. We're talking about sanctification from the power of sin. So that means that sin is out there, very powerful. We still have the old self, even though it's been dead at the cross, crucified. We still have access to that old way of living, and it keeps popping up. And so that sin is around us, but it does not have to reign over us with power because we're Christians. And number three is glorification. That deals with the presence of sin. We talked about that a little while ago, and that is that um, I'm still with sin all around me, but when I get to heaven, there is no sin. One person said that in heaven there is no sorrow and pain and disease and all of that. Another thing you can say, in heaven there is no sin. Because if sin was in heaven, then it seems logical to think that if sin could get into heaven, it can't but let's say that it could, then sin in heaven would make heaven as bad as earth. All right? So there's no sin in heaven. There's the presence of a holy God with holy people that have been made holy by God through Christ to us. And so when we get to heaven, it is a glorious place of bliss. And so that's why people say, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker so I could be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Now, I need to ask you a question. Have there ever been some times in your life where that um, you heard something, but you weren't sure if you could yet believe it. You kind of heard it out there, but you didn't believe it. If you heard the fact and you didn't believe it, did that nullify the fact? Did that delete the fact just because we didn't understand it or we didn't believe it? Did that stop it? It wasn't the case. Let me tell you a very uh, painful story. Those of you who know me, you kind of know me as a dominant, outgoing, you know, I I don't meet strangers, I'm not afraid to confront, uh, and the like. Can you imagine what I was like as a six-year-old boy? My mother had challenges with me out the kazoo, if you could imagine. One day in our home, back in the 50s, we lived up north, and um, we had an old, I don't know what you call it, stove stove. And this stove had the uh, it was electric, so it had all those little rings of where you put the hot plates on, etc. And across the panel in the back, you had buttons. There was like four different places you could put your pots on, so there was four different controls, and each control was a different color. And the hottest was obviously what color everyone red, okay? And you go all the way down to it would be clear, meaning it was shut off. So it had yellow and blue and green and red. And I watched my mom do her cooking on that. Well, one day, I went to my mom and I said, Mom, this looks just like maybe the cockpit of an airplane. Could I play on the stove? Now, my mother must have had brain damage. Bless my mother. She said, yes, Stan. Well, yes, Stanley. She'd call me Stanley. Don't you call me that, but she called me Stanley. And um, she said, only do me one favor, Stan. She, She said, do not touch those buttons. Now, you never tell a six-year-old kid to not touch buttons that when you do touch them, they light up. And I'll never forget when I did. She left the room and I'm looking here and looking that way, this way, and that way. So I heard it, but I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that I'd burn myself. Nobody else got burned. I am not going to get burned. So what I did is I reached across and I was punching all these buttons and I'd reach across and I was having such a good time trying to match all of them to the same color and then all the different colors and all in, I mean, I was just, I was lost in my control panel of this stove until I put my hand on a brightly lit burner and I reached across to hit another button and when I did, my hand went on one of those red burn circles. And when I lifted my hand, the flesh was still stuck smoldering. And there was, I could almost see what was going on underneath my skin. And the pain was horrible. I can't even give you the kind of scream that I had screamed at that time. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because in a few moments when I talk to you about positional truth and practical truth, standing in Christ, and our state in Christ, this may be so overwhelming for all of us. Even now I'm getting it, but I don't have all of it gotten yet. We still have to believe it's true and then act upon it. So if you will, take your notes back out again because I want to give you these truths because they are so very important. First of all, positional truth is what God says about my Christian life. We could also say what God says about me who's a Christian. Remember, this message is addressed to those who already know Christ as Savior. So I enter into positional truth when I trust Christ as my Savior. That's why I can say to you humbly but yet very confidently... That you are looking at a man, a husband, a father, a pastor who is absolutely perfect. Now I am. That's, I'm, I'm not even joking. I am perfect before God. The way he sees me in my completed state, in my position in Christ, which we're going to learn about. Now before you, you don't see a perfect man. You see a man who's on a journey like all of us. We're all learning and growing in grace. So I now move from my position... To my practice, I'm not perfect, but I'm in my practice. So that's number two. Practical truth is when I begin to live the way God sees me. My position is how God sees me. He sees me totally forgiven. In fact, he sees me in Christ. He doesn't see my unrighteousness. He sees Christ's righteousness when he looks at me. But now my practice ought to be how I live the way God sees me. And so as I practice now, I am growing in that grace, I'm growing in my practice. So next to the word position, write the word standing. Next to the word um, practical, you can certainly put the word state there. So when I stand before you like this, stand means I'm in one place, I'm standing. I am not moving. I do not need to move. Once I trusted Christ, here's a phrase. I am already complete in Him. So that's my standing. So when you think of the word position, I'm in one position, I'm standing in one place, I am complete and I'm finished before Him in His eyes as He sees me because of me trusting in Christ. That happened that fast. That happened when I was justified. That happened chapter 5. Okay. Now, over here, it's my practice. When anybody practices, generally whatever it is, the piano or painting or throwing a football... Practicing generally means that you're in some form of a movement, sometimes backwards, sometimes forward. And so that's why we will say, this is your state. Another word would say, and some of you have heard this, the phrase static. That's a static situation. What does it mean when you say that's a static situation? You're saying that that is an unstable one. That one is still in motion. That one is still being figured out. That's still being um, done. It's still moving towards maybe a particular goal however you want to define static. So the idea is, you're not standing complete, you're in a state over here of movement. And I would like to think, and my passion for all of us on this journey, is that our state is one of growing and becoming more and more like Christ. And that's, again, what we're going to be learning, at least through the concept. So what you're going to hear this morning, until I run out of time, is that I'm going to spend half of the message going through what we call a positional truth. And so when you read this, you're going to know this is what happens when I trust Christ as my Savior from Romans chapter 6. The last smaller portion of the message for today, I'm going to begin talking about what we call our state or our practice. One is once I trusted Christ, I can't change that any longer because I'm already in Christ. That's a done deal. So once I'm in my position, there's nothing I can do to get out of that position because he keeps me in that position. My practice over here is something that I'm going to be doing I'm going to be growing, I need to make choices, it's a volitional choice, it should be done once and then continually made after that, not so that I can stay in my position, because that's already sealed, that's so now as I stand before you, you're going to see a person of growth, like I would look at you as well. So if you keep those in mind, that might help you. Let me give you a couple of, uh, before I give you a couple of words, let me give you an illustration of this that might help you from an earthly point of view now. Those of you that have studied American history, you've heard about uh, Abraham Lincoln giving a message called the Emancipation Proclamation. How many of you have heard that before? Would you raise your hand? All right. That's when he made this proclamation that he, quote, set the slaves free. All right? When he made that, soon thereafter, those slaves, and maybe re- really at the moment, they were legally set free. In other words, they were no longer under whatever law that they thought they were under before, so they were emancipated, they were set free. Yet all of us know enough about history that knowing that to be fact and then them living a free state, that, uh, that took years, and today we're still seeing the residual of all of that that's going on in their mind and what the history is, and I'm not going to unpack all of history. The illustration is, although something is declared free, living as a declared freed slave was something else. You and I, when we were before we trusted Christ, we were a slave of sin, self, Satan. When we trusted Christ, he declared us free because of what he has done to free us to be able to do that. Now, we might hear that, we might even believe that, but are we making the choices that we are now freed as a freed slave? So that brings us back to we as Christians now. Our job is to, quote, set people free through them hearing the message of faith alone and Christ alone, whereby Christ sets them free. And now we as freed slaves can now choose to have a new master. And our master now is going to be Christ. And we choose to surrender to him because of all he's done for us. So I want you to keep that in mind when we talk about positional truth and practical truth. The truth is there, now we have to act upon it. Now here are three words. I must know this truth. And that's why we're teaching this here today and it's being recorded and hopefully broadcast to others so they could at least know this truth. Number two, we must believe it. Once you hear it, you might hear that, but you may not really believe that. And then finally, we must act on it. So let me bring it back to an earthly illustration here in Hawaii. Someone recently told me this, so it was was new news to me. I did not know it, therefore I didn't believe it, and I didn't act upon it. Here's what I've heard. In Hawaii, you know, when we as a pedestrian, we step up to the sidewalk, and we're ready to cross the street, we're looking at a crosswalk signal in front of us. When we see that usually green figure man that's out there... We know that it's okay to walk. Now, it baffles me how many people see the sign and they walk. They never look at traffic and then they get banged, you know, and you wonder, why didn't you see that car? You should have looked too. But you see this in front of you. What I didn't know is that when you see it flip into red and you see numbers counting down from whatever it is, 15, 14, or how many seconds they're going to give you to get across, that doesn't say, okay, you can leave the sidewalk now, jump into the crosswalk and get across there before it hits zero. It means once you see the numbers, you cannot leave the sidewalk here to get back into the crosswalk. That now only becomes a message for those who are already in the crosswalk, and that's how much time they have to get over to the other side. So once you see that first number go up there, when it flips from green to red... You can't step off that. Now, I thought it was like, ooh, I'm still like 50 feet away, but if I run, I see those numbers. It doesn't matter as long as I get to do that. I did not know I was breaking the law when I step over and get into that little uh, crosswalk from the sidewalk. Now, why am I telling you that story? First of all, some of you might hear this for the first time. So now you know this. Know it doesn't mean that you believe it. The second step is to say, okay, I heard that from the pastor. He doesn't lie. He must have done his homework. So that must be true. I'm where you are because the person who told me that, I have to believe what they said was true too. But now what I have to do is when I'm walking on the sidewalk in downtown or along some of our streets out here, and I'm coming up and I see it green and I'm heading out and all of a sudden it flips to red and gives me numbers, if I'm still on the sidewalk, I have to act upon it by not stepping into the crosswalk and keep going. So again, what you're going to be hearing in the weeks ahead is you're going to hear some stuff you've never known before. You're going to know that. And I commend you on that. And some of you are going to have to process this and then it's going to come to a point of believing it. But then there are people that are going to really believe this, but they kind of set it aside for later on or it's too hard. I don't know. And they keep on doing what they're going to keep on doing. And it's those people that I I passionately want to plead with you. When you know it and you believe it, let it now change you. Because God doesn't put these things in front of us to confine us or to keep us from joy He brings these things into our lives so we can have the fullness of joy, watch this, and we can exalt the Lord, bring that joy right back up to him. So this message isn't just a dusty old doctrinal message. The ultimate goal is so that you can bring glory to the Lord, joy to the Lord from the joy that you have, from a life who's chosen to know this, to believe it, and to act upon it.